um, because today's lesson is going to be about Abram or Abraham. And uh, I decided against both of those because I'm neither a great singer. And the last time I did, uh, you know, Hangman, I actually messed it up and I was doing that with the kids. So I'm just going to kind of jump right in. And um, but I'm really excited to open God's word with you. So if you guys want to open God's word to Genesis 12, I'm going to pray and then uh, we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. Thank you so much that we get to come together and uh, open your word together, Lord. I thank you for this opportunity. I pray that you would just calm my nerves, that you would um, give me the words to say and realize that um, the words that I, I'm, I'm giving to the congregation here, that um, they, they come from you and uh, it's your word. It's not through my power, it's through yours. I just pray that this uh, message would be challenging and uplifting to those here. We, I pray all these things in your name. Amen. So, if you guys are in Genesis 12, um, I am going to uh, just give you a quick definition of faith. All right, the Oxford definition of faith is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. The biblical definition of faith is, uh, is found in Hebrews 11.1, 1, actually, which is what we just read. I'm going to read it again. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is trusting in something that you don't have explicit evidence for. It's not something that you can explicitly see. It's not something that you can hold in your hands. All right? It's believing in something that you cannot you know, hold, you can't grasp. It's believing in something that you cannot prove. Faith in God is trusting in God's promises and that trusting that God's promises are true no matter the circumstances or hardships. And as we go into the story today, we're going to see that Abram, who was a man of faith, um, wasn't always a man of faith. So before we get into the actual verses, which is going to be 10 through 20, 10 through 20 I can say that, um, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 9 just to get the setting. So if you guys are already in Genesis 12, I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. And it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went, or Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of, at Shechem, at, to the oak of Morah. At the time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an, alt an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward Negeb. So, we see here in the first half of the chapter, Abram's calling. Abram, as of, as of yet, hadn't been mentioned and this is the first instance that we hear of Abram, but everyone here knows who Abraham is, probably, or Abram, 
I, I'm going to keep doing that. I'm going to switch back and forth between Abram and Abraham. You're just going to have to bear with me on that. All right. Abram, who's going to be renamed Abraham eventually, is called by God to be special. He's told by God that he's going to become a great nation, that he's going to be blessed by God. But God asks him to take a leap of faith. He asks him to leave his home country. Um, he asks him to leave his family. He asks him to leave everything he loves, everything he knows, everything that's safe about his life. And he says, leave, go, all right? Leave what you know, go somewhere you don't. I will be with you, but I'm going to make you a great nation if you follow me. And so what does Abraham do? He gets up and leaves. He takes his family and he goes to a land he doesn't know on the word of the Lord. And when he gets to Canaan, God says, I will give this land to your offspring. So Abram did it, right? He got to the land of promise. He's there. He's already like, you know, he got up left and God showed him an answer. You know, he proved him right. He, he answered his faith with faith. He said, here you go. Here's the land. This is Canaan. It will be yours. It will be your offspring. And obviously, that's the end of the story, right? We can pray and you guys can be dismissed. Well, no, of course not. You know, I could never pull that joke downstairs. The kids would be up and out of their seats and in the, in the kitchen eating snacks before I could say no. All right. I'm glad none of you guys did that. All right. Obviously, this isn't the end of the story. And it's the only, the only the first half of chapter 12. Verses 10 through 20 are going to show the opposite side of Abraham. We're, it's going to show a very different Abraham than what's described in verses 1 through 9. So let's read verses 10 through 20. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a, a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake." When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say, she is my sister's, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. And Abram gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So, this narrative begins with Abram stepping out in faith and ends with him just utterly failing. It's, it starts with a huge leap of faith and ends with him just saying, you know what, forget about that. I know you just promised me God, but I'm, I'm going to not believe those promises now. It starts with the lack of faith and builds into not just the sin of the lack of faith, but it builds into multiple sins for, him, for Abram himself as well as those around him. And as I said before, the first of these sins is Abram's lack of faith. He had just received the promises that, God's, that God would bless Abram's offspring and that they would become a mighty nation. 
This promise meant that Abram had to have descendants or children, which he hadn't even had yet. So Abram, before he's even seen the fruition of some of the promises, is already not believing them. He believes that someone is going to pluck him out of God's plan. God has also promised that the land of Canaan would belong to Abram's descendants. And Abram, getting, having arrived in Canaan already and saying that this is going to be your land, this is going to be the land of your descendants, as soon as the trouble hits, as soon as the drought hits, Abram gets up and leaves. Abram, knowing that those who would bless him would be blessed and those who would curse him would be cursed, Abram, knowing that God had just promised to make his name great, knowing all these things, leaves for Egypt. And whether or not this comes from the Lord is unclear, just, just to be clear. But it's pretty clear that Abram is not stepping out in faith by leaving for, for Egypt. And we see this because we see his immediate following action, which is right before he goes into Egypt, he lies. All right? he, he doesn't just lie. He plans a deception. All right? And, you know, this isn't like a slip of the tongue. This isn't like a, a panic deception. You know how, like, on Saturday mornings when you had chores you were supposed to do before you went outside and played or played video games or whatever you did, and you didn't do them, and then mom came home, and she said, did you do your chores? And you said, yeah. Well, that never worked with my mom. She was of the uh, Ronald Reagan, or uh, who, who said it, is trust but verify. She always verified, so lying to her never worked. Um, we learned that pretty quickly, all right? But it wasn't that kind of deception. It wasn't a panicked lie. It wasn't as though Pharaoh had a knife to, to his throat and said, this better be your sister or I'm going to kill you, right? It wasn't like that. Abram, before any danger even showed itself, said, we're going to lie. So it was a planned deception. And so Abram, not believing in the promises that God had just made him, planned to deceive others for the sake of his own life. He was afraid that his wife was so beautiful that the Egyptians would kill him just to get to her. And, um, I mean, she must have been incredibly attractive because the princes noticed her and went and told Pharaoh. And, I mean, it turns out Moses was at least a little right. She was incredibly beautiful. And we actually see this happen a second time with a second king in Genesis 20. Different story. Won't get into it. But she must have been a very beautiful woman. And Abram was not unaware of that. He, you know, he aimed high and good job, Abram. All right. So mind you, though, it wasn't necessarily a lie that Sarah was his sister. All right. We actually see later on in Genesis 20 that um, Sarah was his sister of sorts. Again, that's a whole different tangled mess. I'm going to leave that to Pastor Mitch when he preaches on it in a few weeks. All right. So it wasn't a complete lie. But it was a planned deception because Abram left out the tiny little detail that he was married to her, right? You know, just the, the small thing that that's also my wife. That's not just my sister. That's my wife. That sounds so weird saying it. All right. That's, that's my wife. All right. He wrapped up Sarah into his sin by saying, you have to tell them this as well. All right. You have to tell them that you're my sister. All right. You also have to plan to deceive them for my sake. And so he wrapped Sarah up into the sin that he was planning because he did not believe in the promises of God. Now, don't get me wrong. Sarah could have done the right thing. She did not have to lie. Anytime someone sins, you can't blame it on someone else. Your own sin is your own sin. I'm not blaming Sarah's, I'm not saying, you know, her sin was Abram's sin, all right? 
But it certainly doesn't help when you have someone who's close to you, you know, your husband or your brother, pushing you to sin. <laughs> All right? When someone is pushing you to sin, it certainly does not make it easier to do the right thing. And we see, obviously, that Sarah went along with it because what happens? As soon as Pharaoh finds out that a beautiful woman comes, he takes her, right? And so this leads into another two sins that are combined with kind of like a cause and effect relationship. Abram, who led Sarah into sin by, by lying, leads her into another sin of adultery with Pharaoh. All right? Pharaoh's taken her as his wife or as a concubine or, you know, whatever. All right? He's taken her into his house. And the second sin is Abram profits off of this. Abram doesn't just say, oh, well, there goes my wife and, you know, goes off and hides. He actually, it says that Pharaoh sent him sheep and oxen and male donkeys and female donkeys and male servants and female servants and camels. So Pharaoh is sending him all these things as sort of a dowry for Abram's so-called sister. And if there's ever such a thing as ill-gotten gains, it's, it's this, right? It's, it's, you know, saying, here's my sister, here you go, you know and then taking stuff from him. Like, that's just, it's a deception. It started off with a deception. He, he got things for it. He got goods for it. He got, became a wealthy man for it, all through deception. All right? And now we see that all these sins lead to consequences for actually both Pharaoh and Abram. Pharaoh I've definitely got the worst end of the stick by, uh, we saw that he befalls great plagues. All right? Now, it doesn't specify what plagues hit him, and his house, or for how long this went on, but he figured out why he was cursed, or he figured out that he was cursed and why he was cursed. And when Pharaoh found out, he went to Abram and said, "Why did you do this to me? Like, why did you lie? Why, why weren't you honest with me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife?" And Abram doesn't even have an answer. I mean, what answer is good enough? Well, for a king, for a Pharaoh. But what answer is good enough to justify sin? There, I mean, there really is none. And so we see that Pharaoh and his house are hit by great plagues. They're tormented. And then we also see that there are consequences for Abram, who, while he was in Egypt, you know, that was supposed to be a land of safety, right? Um, it was a good green land. They lived mostly off of the Nile. So it would have had, you know, lots of vegetation, probably pretty good for his flocks and, uh, and whatnot for him to be there. And he's there, and Pharaoh says, here's your wife, get out of here, right? Kicks him out, she just says, leave. And so Abram and his wife are, you know, on their merry way, which he's lucky, which it's kind of crazy. If you think there was something to get him killed, it was, you know, lying to Pharaoh and then getting him plagued. But Pharaoh says, nope, get out of here. You know, Pharaoh had, had, had better sense than that, apparently. So all these, all these sins led to consequences for Abram and for Pharaoh. And that's the end of chapter 12. Abram, who was so focused on self-preservation, that he was, was so focused on self-preservation that he lost all sense of belief in God's promises to him. And his sins just continued to build one after another, dragging down those around him. Abram at this moment appears to be the farthest thing from being a faith-filled servant of the Lord. He had just been called by God to be special to the Lord to be special, his chosen one, all right? He was going to be the father of the greatest, most special nation on, on earth. He was going to be the father of Jesus, who's going to be the greatest, most special person to ever live. And here we see he just immediately turns around 
and betrays God. Immediately betrays the, the, the blessing that, that God has given him. And we see that this isn't his one and only mistake. Again, I'm not going to preach on it, but we see him actually make the same mistake or the same, do the same thing with the second king in chapter 20. He tells the same lie. All right? he, he makes the same deception with this king by, by saying, oh, she's my sister, which again, isn't totally a lie. But, and, and so he deceives that second king. He, um, he has a child with their servant, Hagar. All right? They, they have a child because they haven't, he and Sarah haven't had a child yet, and Sarah was going to be the, the you know, they were, she, God promised Abram that he was going to have a child through Sarah and that they would be blessed. And Abram doesn't believe that promise and has a child with another woman. And actually, we see again, Hagar and, and Ishmael are punished for it. They, they go through a hardship. It's not just Abram and his wife who go through hardship for it. It's it's. It's this poor servant and their son. And so we see consequences of sins, but we see all these times where Abram failed time and time again in his faith. But this one specifically stands out to me. You know, of all the other times he failed, this one stands out because he had just, like, it was almost immediate how quickly he lost faith in God's promises. Like, one moment he's literally talking to God receiving promises, and the next moment, you know, he's thrown them out the window. He said, I trust in myself, in me. I trust in what I can do for myself more than what God can do for me. And it's really easy to hear this story and think, Abraham, a Abram, not Abraham, Abram, what are you doing? You know, what's going on? What, what happened to you? You know, you just heard from God Almighty. He was talking to you. You know, it's really easy to think if God talked to me, I would never do that. You know, if I had promises directly from God, I wouldn't have messed up right after. You know, maybe later, but right, not right after, right? Obviously, you and I are different. And maybe we wouldn't make the same mistake of having our faith shaken by a drought or imagine threats of death. But what does shake your faith? All right. Do you lose faith when you lose your job and you can't make ends meet despite God's promise in Philippians 4.19 to provide for you according to his riches? Is it when a pandemic hits and you lose a loved one despite the fact that God promises in Romans 8.28 that God works all things together for, good, for the good of those who love him? Is it when your boyfriend or girlfriend breaks up with you and you feel as though your heart is torn and you don't trust and you don't trust God to heal the brokenhearted as he says he will in Psalms 147? Or is it that when you sin time after time after time and you feel so guilt-ridden that you think that God can't forgive you any longer, despite the fact that you weren't saved by your works, but you were actually saved by grace, as it says in Ephesians 2? Everyone has their own struggles of faith, and we all have have lapses in that faith. And when we lapse in that faith, it leads to sin, just as it did with Abram. We often forget that God's, we often forget God's promises and we fall. And this happens time after time. You know, we have the same advantages as Abram had, maybe even more. You know, we have God's written word. Abram didn't have God's written word. He had God's word, you know, his, you know, he had what God said to him and that's it. He had no, he didn't have like a contract from God. He didn't have, you know, 
and he didn't have anything like that. We have a whole book, right? 66 books in one, you know, one binder right here, filled with God's promises to take care of you and to take care of me. And yet we fail. Why is that? Again, don't we have the promises that Abram had? Don't we have the promises that God will never forsake us, never stop loving us, that God will never abandon us? You know, I'm going to tell you a story from downstairs really quick. Um, this happened just a few weeks ago, again, in Children's Church. That's where a lot of my, uh, you know, my stories come from is Children's Church. Kids are interesting. Um, well, most of the kids listen really well, and they love learning about the Bible. Most of them love learning about the Bible. There are always a couple of kids that are what I would call Debbie Downers, all right? They just don't really want to be there. And those kids, no matter how long, no matter how short of the story I tell, they always say, well, not always, most of the time say, Mr. JJ, this is boring. And I've done a whole number of things to, you know, placate that. I've, you know, bribed them with candy, bribed them with extra snacks. I have, you know, I've worn a wig, a very colorful wig, which fits on my head very easy. I wore a very colorful wig, and actually that was a very popular, and I've had multiple kids be like, are you going to wear the wig again? No, I'm not, probably. <laughs> not for a while anyway, all right? I've worn a wig in front of the group, all this to hold their attention, but with these kids, with the ones who don't want to be there, it's like trying to grab a handful of water and walk away with it, right? You can't, it's not going to work, all right? Some of these kids, if they don't want to be there, they just don't want to be there. And a few weeks ago, we were starting the lesson, and actually, this is when I messed up Hangman. I was just about to start, and they go, Mr. JJ, can we just go outside and play the game? You are boring. And I, you know, this, ooh, I forgot that's there. You know, this offends me a little bit because I like to think, A, I'm not a, a, a boring person. I bend over backwards just to make it enjoyable, as enjoyable for the kids as I can. And while I may not be the most captivating speaker, I think that I am far from a boring person. So I proceeded to tell them, I was like, no, I'm not boring. Let me tell you about the crazy things that I've done. So I told them about multiple spring breaks, two years running, where I almost got eaten by the same alligator. I told them about the time I scaled the outside of a building. I told them about the times that I snuck out after curfew at Bob Jones. <laughs> Forgive me. Um, you know, and I told them all the things that I've done, which probably also wasn't a great idea. Don't do that with kids. I, I really want them to like me <laughs> and think I'm not boring. All right. So I've told them all of these things that I've done, and there's this one specific kid who's in the back that just says, so what? That's probably not true. You're still boring. <laughs> all right, you go wrestle an alligator. Fine, whatever. All right. Now, I personally actually think I could have walked in with the alligator under my arm, and they wouldn't have believed me, or they would have still called me boring. But she, she didn't want to believe me. There was no convincing her otherwise. She didn't want to believe me because it didn't suit her. She didn't have to believe, she didn't have to believe in what I was saying because, or she didn't want to believe in what I was saying because she had something more important to her in her own mind at the time. It was herself. She wanted me to admit that I was boring and that we could go outside and play because she didn't want to be inside. So no matter what I told her, no matter how hard I tried to convince her that I was telling the truth, that I am not a boring person, she did not believe me. Or she chose not to believe me. And I think we're all prone to this. When we lose faith, it's not a slip up. Well, it is a slip up. 
but it's a choice. It's not just, you know, oh, I, I you know, forgot to have faith this time. No. It, it's, it's an active choice to say, I believe in myself more than I believe in the promises of God. And we're all prone to do this. And there isn't a person here who's immune. You know, God didn't bend, just bend over backwards to, to prove his promises are trustworthy. He died to prove his promises are trustworthy. And yet we as Christians continue to look the other way. Where's your faith? Where's my faith? <clears throat> Take a second to think about the last month of your life. How many days did you wake up and say, I'm going to give every moment of today to God? I am going to give every decision I make to the Lord. How many times did you respond to a trial or a hardship by turning and giving it to the Lord rather than looking for the easiest solution from yourself? You know, I'm not going to stand up here and pretend like I'm guilt-free of this. You know, this last month, I, so I run a lawn care business. I started it last year, still pretty small. And I had a week where it was just, if there was a, such a thing as bad luck, it would, I had bad luck. I had a problem with my truck tire that I had to you know, take it off and replace a whole part on the inside. It took me a whole day of work. And then I messed up on that. So the next day I had to repair the same thing. And then the day after that, I got a nail in that same tire. And then the day after that, my lawnmower, which is, you know, my source of income, also got a flat tire, had to bring that in. That was out for a week. It was just hammering every, like, four days in a row. It could, things could not go right. And I didn't turn to God. I just, I went home and I was just in a sour mood. Ask my roommates. I wasn't, wasn't real pleasant to be around for a, for a few days. All right. It was... It was just, it was a mistake. And I realized afterward, it's like, you make a mistake and you, and you think, what am I doing? Like, this is not outside of God's plan. Like, what am I doing? This is not outside of God's promises. God did not promise me that I was going to have an easy life. God did not promise you that you were going to have an easy life. He didn't promise you that the second you put your faith in Jesus, that, you know, everything would be daisies and you could go skip in a field and have no worries, that God promises pretty much the opposite. I said, your life is going to be hard. Your life is going to be very hard, but I still want you to, to take up your cross and follow me. You know, even as I was preparing this sermon, I had to catch myself. I was thinking as I was preparing to, to do the study, I said, how on God's green earth can he be prepared to use someone like me? He knows every little thing that I've done. He, he knows every sin that I, I have done. He knows every sin that I'm going to do. And he is going to use me to get up and talk about faith. And I had created in my mind, you know, this idea that it was reliant on me. And as I started to do this study, it was just a really clear as day reminder that this, and here, here's the amazing truth. All right, this is what I'm trying to get at. All right. My failures do not disqualify me from being a child of God. My failures do not disqualify me from serving God. Abram's failures did not disqualify him from being a, a faithful servant of God. All right? And God knew everything I was ever going to do before he even created me and that I would fail him time after time after time. And despite knowing all this, he still chose to call me into his fold. And the truth of John 10, 28, 
always rings true. It says, and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Once I am God's, there's no man that can take me away from God, even myself. So Abram, despite his many failings, despite not only uh, being, despite, I'm sorry, Abram, despite his many failings, was not only loved by God, but was also considered to be one of the greatest men of God. Abram, Abram's faith, rather, despite his relapses in unbelief, was strong enough for him to be considered in, the, in what we call the hall of faith. If you guys look at Hebrews 11, 8 through 9, I'm going to turn there really quick. Um, I know we already read it. Let's see, I should have put a, uh, there we go. Hebrews 11, 8 through 9, I'm going to read it again. It says, By faith Abram obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to, the, to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. See, God didn't look at Abram's faith, or did, God didn't look at Abram's mistakes and disqualify him. God qualified him despite his mistakes. So, here's my challenge to you as Christians, for those of you who are Christians in this room. Live a life of faith. Believe in God's promises. Turn to him always, good or, at all times, good or bad, and God will always take care of you. Well, no, I'm not standing up here. I'm promising that your life will be good or that it will be easy. And, you know, sometimes God's way of taking care of you is the exact opposite of what humans' idea of being taken care of. You know, again, God, I'm, not, I'm not prosperity preaching up here. I'm not saying, believe in God and, you know, you're going to get a million dollars, right? You know, it's like the like and share if you want to, and you'll be blessed with a million dollars in three days, all right? That's not what I'm telling you. All right? I'm not promising you that your life is going to be easy or that you're suddenly going to come into riches and and you know, I'm not promising you an easy life. You know, God's not promising you an easy life. But I am promising you that in God's own way, he will always be there for you. He will always love you and that no matter how many times you fail and you will fail, that there's no reason to be discouraged. Turn to God, ask for forgiveness and learn from it. Abram did it. Abram stepped out in faith, again, later on in Genesis, with his son Isaac. All right? God had promised him through Isaac that he was going to have a blessed nation, and then he said, go kill him. You know, take him up to the mountain and, and sacrifice him to me. And Abram, believing in God's promises, stepped out in faith and did it. He did it again at the start of Genesis 12. He stepped out in faith away from his safety, away from everything he knew. Sorry. Everything he knew and, and stepped out in faith and, and did what God called him to do. God doesn't expect you to be perfect. In fact, he knows you're not going to be perfect. But James 1.3 says, The testing of your faith worketh patience. Your faith is going to be tested. And through hardships and through trials, it will grow. And that requires making mistakes. All right? So don't be discouraged when you, when, you, when you lapse in faith. Get it right with God. Learn from it and move forward. And for those of you who don't know Jesus, let me ask you this. Don't you want to know a person who will love you no matter what? Don't you want to know a person who 
despite the fact that you're going to betray him time after time and after time, despite the fact that he knows the worst things that you've ever done and the worst things that you will do, despite the fact that he knows everything about you, every nook and cranny of your heart, the most wicked imaginings, imaginations of your heart, he knows all of it, and he still wants you. He still wants to know you. He still wants you to, to have a relationship with him. He still wants to show you his unending love, his, his overabounding grace. Don't you want to know a person like that? I know a person like that, and it is the most blessed thing that God has ever done for me was at the age of, at the age of six, I had a sister who was showing me pictures, and I saw a picture of what looked like a cross, and I said, hey, that looks like a cross, you know, being a, a good Baptist. And my sister said, do you know what the cross is? I was like, well, yeah, I know Jesus died on it. And she said, yeah, but do you know what that cross means? And I said, I mean, Jesus died on it. Like that's, you know, and she explained it to me. And that day I put my faith in Jesus. And you can do the same thing today. And it doesn't require you to be a perfect person. In fact, we, uh, we know you're not a perfect person. Everyone in this room knows everyone in this room is not a perfect person. All right. Accepting Jesus into your heart does not require you to be a good person. Because again, there is no person in this room who is a good person. Some people act like they're good people, but they're not. It does not require you to be a good person. He calls, God does not call the righteous, he calls sinners to repentance. And it's a gift. All it takes for you is is for you to trust not in yourself, but in Jesus who saves. It's stepping out in faith in the substance and and having faith in the things that are hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Let's pray, and then we're going to take communion. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you so much just for your word. We thank you for the story of Abram. Um, Lord, we thank you that um, through his mistakes, we have an example of of how we can uh, learn to be more faithful to you, Lord, how we can, can look through trials and through hardships and have faith in you, and have faith in the promises that you've given us, and that we can trust that what you've told us would be true, that you will love us always, and that no matter what happens, no matter how, how badly we mess up, that no matter how, how badly we betray you, Lord, that you will always love us, and that you'll always forgive us. Lord, I pray for those in this room who might not know you as their Savior, Lord. I just pray that you would um, realize that they need you. Realize that, that there is... Um, nothing greater than being uh, known to you and to be in the book of life and to be loved and, and, and to love you, Lord. There's nothing greater than that blessing. Lord, I pray for, for just uh, the communion. I pray that we would get our hearts right before you as we, as we take part of this sacrament, Lord. And I pray all these things in your name. Amen.
Standing on the promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages let His praises ring. Glory in the highest, 